how's it going, everybody? Good? All right. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, I would love that opportunity, first of all. But my name is Andrew. I get to be a part of this community here. I get to serve here. And I, I always, it's a double-edged sword having such a good worship team uh, because it's an amazing experience to be in worship. And then I get up and my voice is already like worn out from just sending it in, in worship. But I'm happy to be here. I'm going to be uh, sharing with you from God's word this morning. And uh, we'll get that get to that in a second. I want to ask you a question. And that is, if, when you were a kid, if you can remember, uh, did you ever play like any pretend games as, as a kid that you would, you know, pretend that you were somebody else or do, did something else? Or maybe you have kids and you watch them play pretend. I think maybe nowadays kids just like to watch iPads and stuff. But this, this, is, this is me when I was a kid, if you can guess already. I was, um, in addition to being uh, strikingly good looking, I, was, I had a very creative mind. And I came up, my friend and I, that, that her name is Hallie, come up with this very elaborate game of pretend um, with lots of rules and very complicated, and the name of it was People. I know you're, what you're thinking, wow, in addition to those good looks, he's also very smart and clever. Um, <laughs> uh, clearly, it wasn't a very clever name, but we would play this game where, where I was a dad, and Hallie was a mom, and I, every morning I would get up, and I would gather my tools into my briefcase, and I would go off to work. Some days, apparently, I was a superhero. Other days, I was a construction worker, and uh, I would go off to work, and then Hallie would uh, clean the house back home, and she would bake, make the meal, and I would come home, and we would have our dinner together and have a conversation over the table. And I know that those gender uh, roles can sort of be out of fashion nowadays, but you get to cut us some slack because we were <laughs> like four years old. Um, and, you know, as a kid, pretending is just a way to, to be imaginative and to maybe help your kids get some energy out. Uh, well, you know, parents need to do grown-up things. But as we get older, right, pretending becomes something a little different. As we, grow, you know, come into adolescence and adulthood, we start to understand, we start to learn that you can pretend to be somebody you're not. You can sort of put on a costume or a disguise. And then if you do that well, you can get something that you want. If you're really good at pretending, you can get something that you really want. And so we start to do this in small ways, in big ways. We start to pretend so that we can get things that, that are really important to us. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible today that if there was an award for the most ridiculous episode of pretending, this chapter would be it by far. It would win by a mile. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27 this morning. If you want to open uh, your Bibles to that, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. It's going to be really close to the beginning of the book, and uh, that's where we're going to be. And as you turn there to Genesis 27, I want to set the scene for you. What we have is uh, a family, Isaac and Rebecca. They've been married, and they've been trying to have a baby for 20 years, trying and trying and trying and, and seeking the Lord. And finally, after 20 years, the, God opens up Rebecca's womb. She's been barren. And she becomes pregnant. And Isaac and Rebecca are so excited. They are overjoyed, but very quickly the joy of that pregnancy is overshadowed by painful episodes that Rebecca is experiencing as this pregnancy wears on. She, she, more and more it's becoming very painful for her. And so she seeks God and she says, God, what is going on? You, you gave me this child, but now it seems like something, is, something has gone wrong. And God 
gives her a prophecy. He tells her three things. The first thing he tells her is, you don't just have one baby, Rebecca. You have, you're carrying twins. And those twins, the second thing he says is, those twins are going to rise into great nations, but they're going to be in conflict with each other. Even now, before they're born, they are, they are wrestling and jostling inside your womb. These, these two uh, children are going to grow up into great nations. They're going to be powerful. They're going to have lots of people. They're going to have lots of resources, but they're, they're going to be in conflict with each other. And the third thing, the most important thing that God says to Rebecca as she's experiencing this is, is, is the most important thing. God says to her, the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. And that is, that is completely contrary to everything that they knew at the time. That is totally backwards. It would never happen like that. The older son was, was the darling of the family. The older son gets all of the love from the parents. And, and it, when, the, when the father would die, they would get double uh, the portion of the inheritance. They would uh, really take their place when their father passed away as the new sort of leader of the family, the patriarch of the family. And so for God to tell Rebecca that the older will serve the younger totally flips that whole thing on its head. And so eventually the time comes and Rebecca gives birth and Esau comes out first. The text tells us that he's red and hairy. I, I can't imagine what that must have been like, but red and hairy. And so they, gave him, they give him the name Esau, which kind of sounds like the word for red and hairy. And then Jacob comes out right after and it says that he was sort of grabbing onto his brother's heel. And so they give him the name Jacob, which sort of means he, he grasps at the heel. And that's also a phrase we find out sort of that names are really important. That's also a phrase that kind of means like grasp at a heel. And this time is sort of a phrase that like this is a sneaky person. That this is sort of, this is a person that will go the back way to sort of get what they want. And so th these are the two boys that Rebecca gives birth to. And so what we find in Genesis 25 as these children are born, the last thing I'll tell you before we jump in is that they, uh, the parents, pick favorites. And that is a bad idea. That is a bad, bad idea. And what, it's no surprise that Isaac, the father, it says the text that he loves Esau, his firstborn. That does not surprise anybody. The father is going to pour out all his love on the firstborn. That's the darling of the family. That's the one he's going to take his place. He wants to prepare him for everything he needs. He wants to give him all the love that he needs to be successful as he grows up. And Rebecca loves Jacob, her younger son. And so this is where we come to in Genesis 27. And this is 40 years later, okay? So the children have grown up. They are grown men at this time when we open in Genesis 27. It says this. Oh, by the way. This is probably ESV. I'm reading from a slightly different version. It's the same word though, same word of God. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to her son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, 
Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then you take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than the blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and he got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands with the smooth part of, and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. So let's pause there for a second. What we see right off the bat is that this is a deeply, deeply dysfunctional family, right? This is a, this is a problematic situation. Nothing so far is happening the way that it's supposed to happen. The blessing that Isaac is talking about, the blessing that everybody's so concerned about, this is a very important tradition in this time for these people. The, the blessing is sort of like the the closest thing we have in a modern equivalent is sort of like a last will and testament. The father of the family would say, I, I sort of sense that I'm coming close to the end of my life, and so before I die, I want to sort of give my prophetic blessing to my sons. And if you want to see a good example of where that happens, you can go to Genesis 49. We're not going to look there right now, but that's when Jacob, what he does is he brings all of his children in, all of his sons in, and one by one, he goes down the line and he gives them the blessing. And the thing about it is this blessing, it's, is deeply tied to your identity. You see, as the father, as the patriarch of the family, you've, you've watched these boys grow up into men and you've, you've seen what's in their hearts and you've seen what's in their lives and you know the name that you gave to them, that name that's tied to their identity and you would give them that blessing based on who they were, who they were. And so what Isaac's doing right here, he's saying, uh, Esau's my favorite. Maybe I can get away with just blessing him, giving him the whole blessing instead of doing it like I'm supposed to and blessing both of my sons. And so he brings him in kind of, you know, sneakily. He says, go, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of, a, uh, kind of funny because the, the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And he says, make me some of that tasty food. You always do. You always go out hunting. Make me some of that tasty food because I want to give you my blessing before I die. And Rebecca hears this, she's distraught. She knows it's not the way it's supposed to happen, but she's not really in a position to do anything. She can't confront Isaac because he's the boss of the family. He can do whatever he wants. She has no place to say, you can't do that. You have to bless Jacob too. So all she ha can do is, is to come up with a, a, a way to work around what Isaac's plan is. And she knows that Esau is a skilled hunter. The text is very clear in telling us that. So she's like, man, I don't have a lot of time. We're just gonna have to come up with a disguise to make you look like Esau so that you can go before Esau gets back and take the blessing. And the disguise that she comes up with is really not very good. She, she's got, she doesn't have a lot of time to prepare this, and so it's really not a very close sort of facsimile of, of what I, Esau really would have been. 
She's got goatskin hair on his hands and on his neck instead of human hair. So quite a big difference there. I don't know if you've ever touched a goat before. She's got a, a, a meal that was made from, a, uh, not a domesticated, like a livestock, like animals that they kept and would have. So a, a, a meat that Isaac would be familiar with, that they would have, you know, maybe not all the time, but on a regular basis, as opposed to the wild game, probably like a deer or, a, you know, maybe a fox or a boar. I don't quite know exactly what Esau would be hunting, but definitely different, right? And she's going to give him Esau's, it says his best clothes from the house, right? You don't wear your best clothes out all the time, right? You, you, you got that suit in your closet or that dress in your closet. It's like, that's the wedding suit, right? It, it only comes out for those special occasions. And that's a far cry from what Esau is going to be. It says he, go, he goes out with his quiver and bow to hunt. When you hunt game with a quiver and bow, you have to lie in wait for an animal, blazing hot sun. You have to shoot it and the arrow doesn't kill the animal right away. So the animal's going to take off running and you just have to chase after it until it collapses and then put this animal on you and carry it back to your family where you can, where you can, uh, you know, prepare the meal. And so she's got this nice, clean robe from the house compared to Esau's sweaty, smelly, and probably bloody robe that he's going to have when he comes back in to his father. So not a very good disguise. And so this is her plan, and this, this story goes on. So let's see how it goes. Verse 18. He went to his father, that's Jacob, and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to, to know whether, excuse me, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So when he went to him and kissed him and Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So the plan, the ridiculous plan, somehow works. You know, they say that when a person loses their, you know, their eyesight or one of their senses, supposedly all their other senses get a lot sharper, right? Not the case here. Isaac can't tell the difference between goat hair and human hair. He can't tell the difference between goat meat and deer meat. And he can't tell the difference between a, you know, a clean smelling garment and a sweaty, bloody, dirty garment. Somehow, the plan works. And, and it, 
it's sometimes hard to believe that, that Isaac would actually be fooled by all of this. But the text is very clear that, that he does. He does get tricked. And I, and I sort of wonder, like, is it just because he was so desperate to give this blessing to his older son, knowing that God had said all those years ago, 40-something year, you know, 40 years ago, that the older will serve the younger. He said, no, Esau is my favorite son. Maybe if I can just give him my blessing, then God will work through Esau. And so he was just, he, he, he was so eager to bless Esau that he didn't bother bringing in somebody to like confirm his identity. It's also possible, I think, that Esau might, or that Isaac might have been so ashamed that he, what, of what he was doing. He knew he was doing it wrong, not only uh, going against what God's word had said, but also not blessing all of his sons. He was so ashamed, he, he couldn't even think to bring in a servant to see him, you know, kind of catch him in the act of doing this. So without, without any other help, he, he just had to go with his gut that this was actually Esau. And in any event, whichever, whatever explanation it is, Isaac does it. He gives his blessing to Jacob. And in this, you know, these few verses, we also see the great lengths that Jacob is willing to go to in order to get the blessing. Not only does he put on this ridiculous, you know, get up, but he also, he also is willing to sort of eschew his entire identity. He's willing to, to, to give up everything that makes Jacob, Jacob, just so he can get the blessing, right? We talked about names being such an important part of their identity. He walks in and the first words to his father are, I am Esau. In saying that, he says, everything that makes me Jacob is meaningless to me. All that mean, is, is important to me is this blessing. But he even takes it a step further. He, he not only just says, I, I, it doesn't matter who I am. I'm willing to give up my identity for this. I'm also, just to make sure that this is extra convincing, I'm going to make God an accomplice in my lie. Because when Isaac asked him, how did this happen so fast? He says, the Lord your God gave me success. That's like a trump card. Boom. Like, I don't have to explain myself anymore. It was God. So he, he sort of makes God, you know, complicit in this whole deceit, in this whole uh, trickery. The blessing was all that he could see. The blessing was everything to him. It was, he had pinned his hopes and his dreams on the blessing. Jacob's entire life, he's always, he's, he's really, of all of the heroes in the Bible, Jacob is the very least heroic. There's nothing that he really does that's really a praiseworthy thing to do. But he's just pinning his hopes on this blessing. He says, if I can just get this, if I can just get the security that comes with this blessing, that, that my father would tell, would tell to me that I should be the leader of the family. He would tell to me that, that God is going to bless me materially as I grow into the new leader. Then my life will be taken care of. I'll have security. I can move forward and live my life okay because I have the blessing. And whatever I need to do to get it is worth it. The end will justify the means. That's what Jacob is thinking. And he gets it. He gets the blessing. So in Jacob's mind, this is happily ever after. He's like, I finally did the thing that I needed to do. I'm going to be all set. My life is taken care of. I'm good. Happily ever after, roll the credits. But perhaps unsurprisingly, it doesn't work out very well. All right, let, the story goes on. Let's see how it ends for this family. Verse 30. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting and he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. 
Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son Esau, he answered, your firstborn. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I, I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. You can see both children desperate for this blessing. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Isaac is experiencing the regret. I, I should not have given the entire blessing to one son. Now my favorite son is left with nothing. And is, is verse 38, Esau says to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. And this is all Isaac can come up with. Isaac, his father, answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness Away from the dew of heaven above, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. When you're, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I will send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among these women, from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So this is Rebekah's guise to send Jacob away. So how does this chapter end? Everybody loses. Nobody wins in this story. Everybody's got a plot and everybody's got a plan, but nobody comes out on top. Isaac's plan gets foiled. He now has to watch as his favorite son receives a, a pitiful blessing that he's going to just, his life is just going to be essentially really, really hard. Rebecca's plan goes south because even though her son got the blessing that they wanted, she now has to send him away. Haran is 500 miles away from where they are. 500 miles. And beyond that, Rebecca will never see her son again. Jacob goes away and she, she will die before he returns. So she loses out big time. Esau, you got to be in a dark place. You got to be in a bad place to, that the thought of murder is comforting. Esau says, as soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to get my revenge, and I'm going to get the blessing that was meant for me. If Jacob would die, Esau would be able to 
become the, the, the patriarch of the family. And Jacob, even though he just got the blessing that he so desperately wanted, the blessing of the firstborn, he now has to leave his family, he has to leave his home even more insecure and uncertain about his life than when he started. He won't return for another 20 years. That blessing that his father gives him will remain dormant in his life for 20 years before he's able to return back to the land. So Jacob's pretending his, his, his you know, elaborate ruse gets him the blessing he wanted, but it only made him feel worse. That's the story of Genesis 27, and that is a haunting story. It's a haunting story because Jacob is me. Jacob is you. All of us, in some way, we do this. This is not some, some unrelatable story about people that lived thousands of years ago. This is our story every day of our lives. All of us are show, just as desperate for blessing. All of us are just as desperate for blessing and security as Jacob. We'll do whatever it takes. We will change our appearance. We will change our personality. We'll do whatever it takes so that we can get the blessing because we are insecure about what our life is and what our future is. We pretend. We pretend in big ways. We pretend in small ways. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was thinking, who here, who here flosses every day? Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. There's some, some A-plus a, a dental hygiene people in the crowd. But um, let me ask you this. Who here will definitely floss like the day or few days before your dentist appointment? Yeah? Okay, okay, right. We, we, we do this. We pretend that we've got good dental hygiene so that we can get the approval of the dental hygienist. If the dental hygienist can just say, oh, wow, your teeth look great. You're going to feel good about yourself. There's, that, there's security in that blessing. And so we pretend, we, you know, and we go back to not flossing, you know, until the next six months until it comes back around. But we do this in bigger ways, too. The approval of, of a dental hygienist doesn't quite mean as much to us as maybe the approval of our peers or the, the approval of our employers. And so, or, or maybe you're, you, you, you desperately want the love of somebody. You're, you're trying to win somebody's heart. And so we'll, we'll go to great lengths. We will go to the lengths that Jacob went to to win this blessing, to win the security that we are so desperately after. We will change the way we dress. We will change the way that we talk. We will, we will put on a fake personality and pretend to like things that we don't like. Or we'll go to work and, and pretend like we enjoy it when we really hate our job. But all we're really after is the security that comes with the blessing. It could be peop the people that approve of you. It could be zeros in your bank account letters after your name. If I can just get that, then my life will be okay. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be, you know, always constantly striving to get a hold of something that will make me okay. We do this. We also do this with God. And this is the biggest way that we pretend. Some, maybe some of us here, we, we wore a nicer shirt today than we normally wear throughout our week. Because we think God will see it, and he will think 
that we have good style or that we respect him. And, and, then, and then whenever I pray and ask him for something, he's going he's gonna to remember this moment when I wore a tie or when I wore, you know, a shirt with a collar. It's the same thing. Or we'll, or we'll come and, and you know, maybe you got into a fight in the car on the way here this morning. But as soon as you stepped out, as soon as you stepped onto the church steps and got through the door, it was, good morning. How's it going? Smile on your face. Everything's good. And we'll come to God and we'll say, God, you know, I'm a really good person. I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as that person. I don't do those kinds of things. You know, and I know I'm not perfect. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do this thing, you know, exactly the way you want it. But really, you know, when you think about it, I'm a pretty good person. And so I was wondering if you could bless me with this. I, wonder, I was wondering if you could give me this in my life so that I can be okay. But what this story teaches us story of Jacob teaches us is that if we pretend, when we, when, as long as we are pretending for blessing, it will, it will never provide us the security that we are looking for. It will never provide us the hope, uh, that, that, that security that we're hoping for. So long as we pretend, we know that whatever blessing we receive, it wasn't really given to us. As soon as we get it, it's going to turn sour in our mouth because we know that, that that person never would have done this for us. They never would have given us that promotion or, or been our friend if they knew exactly who we really were. If they knew what was really in our hearts and how deeply, deeply dysfunctional and broken and, 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 and evil that I am, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. Not only, not only that, but so long as you pretend to get the blessing, so long as you pretend to get the thing that you're desperately hoping for, it's always gonna come, the blessing is gonna come with strings attached. Strings attached that very quickly get tangled up into a knotted mess of your life, right? If you pretend to like country music so you can be a part of a friend group, how long are you going to pretend? Now you got to go to country concerts. Now you got you to like, you know, be along with these people when you can't stand the sound of country music. And if you tell them, what are they going to do? They're going to be like, how, like, not only are you lame because you don't like country music, but you're also lied to us. Like, what's wrong with you? And so now we have to keep the, the, the disguise going. We have to keep the pretending going. And we end up just getting to this place where all we do is pretend. We just live this pretend life. It never works out the way that we hope. But you might be asking yourself, what other option do I have? What can I do? If I, if I come clean and, and really show people who I am, I could lose everything. I could lose my job, you know, I could lose my, my, all my friends. Uh, you know, I, I could lose everything that makes my life feel like it's, it's secure. And once you get to that place, you are in the, you're in the perfect position, the perfect seat, the, the best view of the gospel that you could possibly have in your life. When you realize that the true you, the true self, is not worth anybody's blessing. You're in the perfect place to see how beautiful, how, how astonishingly, amazingly beautiful the gospel is. Because this is the gospel. God has good eyesight. Our disguises don't fool him. He sees through the goat skin on our hands and our neck, and he sees through the, 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 the best shirt that we put on to come to church today, and he sees through all the, 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 you know, the things that we give him, the meals and the gifts and all that. He sees who we really are. He sees our hearts. And he closes the distance. 
He gets right up to us. There's nothing that could protect you from him. And in the very moment where he should call a curse down on you, just like Jacob is afraid of in the text, if, if he finds out I'm tricking him, he's going to curse me. The very moment where God should curse us, you sort of kind of close your eyes and brace for impact. He wraps his arms around you. He embraces you. He knows exactly who we are, and he chooses to bless us anyways. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Christ. We see, it, it, this, is all, this, this moment is all over the Bible. Everything, if you look deep enough, everything in Scripture points back to this moment where we stand before God knowing that we have nothing to offer Him that would, that would earn us a blessing in return that we should be cursed, that we should be condemned, that we should be sent away. And instead, he brings us in. He wraps us up and holds us tight. He whispers in your ear. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And I like you. I love you and I like you. That's what God says to us. In, you, you might ask yourself, how does this happen? How does that, how does that work? Like, how could he possibly do that? Well, like I said, the scripture talks about it all over the place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I, I don't have time to go into all of these, but uh, to show them on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might uh, experience that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul puts it a different way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we might receive the what? The blessing. The blessing of the Spirit. And in, in a few verses later in Galatians chapter 4, it says that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ are, are given the right to become sons and daughters of God. And in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it calls, it calls us the church. It, it, says, it says something very interesting. It says the church of the firstborn in Hebrews. That's what we're known as, the church of the firstborn. How is it possible that there could be a family with, with hundreds and thousands and millions of firstborn children? It's because of what Jesus did. He did it for each one of us, not just for all of us, not just for a, a, a single person, but for each and every one of us. He did it for you. This is the gospel that Jesus would come, he would see you, in the, the real you. And then he would start putting on a, some clothes. He would start putting on s skins on his hand. Jesus dresses up. Jesus plays pretend. He becomes you and me. He becomes our true self. And it, he... he, he dies. He takes a cross. He, he sacrifices himself so that we could switch places. He was the firstborn God in a bod. He was the firstborn over all creation, and he switches places with us. He says, I want you to have my blessing. That is love. That is God's unstoppable blessing. This is the gospel. It invites us to stop striving for God's love. That's what this is all about. We're, we're just striving for the blessing. We're just striving. If God could love me and accept me, then I could be okay. We're, the, the gospel invites us to stop striving for God's love 
and instead start living because of it. You see, when you, when you experience that, when you receive the firstborn blessing of God, everything changes. Your life begins again. You start to become somebody new. And you no longer have to clamor and strive to get God's love. You can live from a place deeply rooted and firm in the security of God's love, and that can change and impact everything you do. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to follow Christ. And that's the story, that's the invitation that we get from Genesis 27, to lay aside our, our disguises, to, to lay aside our, all our pretense and all of our, our, you know, ridiculous costumes and come before God, come before our Father and say, can I, I, I need you. I need a blessing because I can't do this on my own. There's nothing in me that can get me through this life. There's nothing in me that could even make me worthy of your blessing. Would you bless me, my father? And some of us, maybe we need to do that this morning. Maybe you've been wearing your costume for so long you forgot that it was on. You've been trying to make God happy with you through all sorts of different means. You need to come to the Father. You need to take it all off. And in that moment where, where he should curse you, you need to feel his embrace. You need to feel the love of the Father. That's pure grace. That's not earned. And so if you're here and you've not felt that before, if you're here and you have not, you have not experienced the love of God that would fully accept you for exactly who you are, I want to invite you to do that. You can do that this morning. You don't have to come up. You don't have to do anything special. But as we close the service, I want you to just, in your mind and in your heart, just go before this God. Admit that you need, admit that you need blessing. Admit that you have a, a disguise on, that this is your temptation to do. And just let him whisper in your ear, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you and I like you. And maybe you're here and you've, you, you've received that before, but you, you went back, you left the father's presence and then on Monday you sort of put the hat back on and on Tuesday you sort of put the jacket back on. And you need to be reminded that what God's, God's grace and God's love, it doesn't just impact us on Sunday mornings. It doesn't just impact us for this little sliver of our lives. It changes everything. You become a new person, a person that's firmly rooted in God's love. So you don't have to work for the approval of a boss. You don't have to work for the approval of, of a friend group or a spouse. You are deeply loved and approved by God. And if you live in that, if you let that be your root and your security, you will perform well in your job. You will perform well as a husband. You will perform well, you know, you will, you will find these other blessings. God is a father who loves to bless his people. And so for some of us, the invitation is, is to keep those disguises off. The gospel invites us to stop striving for God's love and start living because of it. I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up. And I, as we close, I just want you to join me in this prayer. Wherever you're at in your, your uh, spiritual journey right now, um, this was a prayer that, it was an honest prayer for me that I wrote this week. 
and maybe you can connect with it and maybe the Lord can use it to open up something in your heart. Um, so as the worship team comes up and starts to play, I invite you all to just close your eyes uh, and pray this with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Your word brings me to my knees because I know that I am a wretched sinner and nothing that I can do will change that. For I am so undeserving of your grace. I was your enemy. I was trying to trick you into giving me what I wanted, but you disarmed me with a word. You threw off all my devices and disguises. You closed the distance so that there was nothing between us. And in the moment where you should have struck me down, you embraced me. You threw your arms around me and said, you are my son, I love you and I like you. Oh, Father, how I melted into that embrace. Pure love washed over me and I was overcome in the sanctity of that moment. In your arms, a vile and broken sinner was reborn into a child of God. My life ended and began anew when I laid down my disguise and heard you say those words to me. And now nothing can be the same, for I am not the same. Before I was striving for your love, but now I am living from your love. Not only do I strive to know you more, but I strive to share that life-changing love with others. For there is still room at your table, and you still have more love to give. Oh Lord, may you use me to share your message to future sons and daughters, that they might feel your embrace just as I have. We love you. Amen. Let's worship together.